Welcome to the weekly worship service from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Bourbon A and Kankakee. In today's service, you will hear readings from God's Word, a message from our pastor, the Lord's Prayer, and a blessing for you and your family. But first, a few announcements about our ministry at St. Paul's. We invite you to join us for our weekly 5 p.m. Saturday worship service at our church located at 348 East Merchant Street in downtown Kankakee. We also hold weekly Sunday morning worship services at 8.30 and 11.05 at our school site, located at 1780 Career Center Road in Bourbon A. If you have any health reasons that might keep you away from in-person worship, please consider one of our alternative worship services, such as our worship page on our website, our weekly WKAN broadcast, and through our Facebook stream. You may also request an audio copy or opt for our podcast. All worship services and church information are available on our website at stpaulslutheran.net. The latest information on our response to the pandemic is available by clicking the COVID-19 tab at the top of the page. For more information about St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School, please call the church office at 815-932-0312. And now we pray that you are blessed by the Word of God in today's worship. Woe to those who go to great deaths to hide their plans from the Lord, 
who do their work in darkness think who sees us, who will know. You turn, you turn things upside down, as if the potter were thought to be like clay. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, he did not make it? Can the pot say to the potter, he knows nothing? In a very short time, will not Lebanon, Lebanon be turned into a fertile field, and the fertile field seem like a forest? In that day, the deaf will hear the words of the skull, and out of the gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Once more, the humble will rejoice in the Lord, and the needy rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. The ruthless will vanish, and the mockers will disappear, and all who have an eye for evil will be cut down. Let us stand as you sing the Owl Universe. Seventh chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe other many, many, many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are, are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corbin, that is, a gift devoted to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. This is the Gospel of the Lord.
God's grace, mercy, and peace be yours today in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The text for the message comes from our first reading from Isaiah. Let's pray. O Lord, your word reveals your truth. May we listen with reverence, grow in grace and knowledge under your spirit's guidance, and then serve you with faithfulness now and forever. As we gather, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Maker and our Redeemer. Amen. Near the end of our reading today, we heard, In that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. Once more, the humble will rejoice in the Lord, the needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. The ruthless will vanish, the mockers will disappear, and all who have an eye for evil will be cut down. That's our text. Back in 2009, there was a book titled Already Gone. It's co-authored by Ken Ham, president of the Answers in Genesis group, and Britt Beamer, president of a firm called America's Research Group. Uh, and, and Already Gone, what catches you is the subtitle. The subtitle says, Why Your Kids Will Quit the Church and What You Can Do to Stop It. The book begins by citing an alarming statistic in England at that time. They found that only 6.3% of that formerly strong Christian nation uh, population attended church. The book then points to research that reveals that fully two-thirds of the young people attending Christian churches here in the United States are leaving the church after high school, which means that within 20 years, or probably more than that, or less than that now, uh, we might be facing that similar crisis. The purpose of Already Gone was to examine the reasons behind this mass exodus of young people from the church and to suggest possible solutions. Britt Beamer's firm interviewed in depth 1,000 young people in their 20s and 30s from across our country. All these individuals had once attended conservative Christian churches, uh, but no longer did so. And what they discovered was interesting. Uh, these young people did not leave the church because they were bored with traditional orders of service to the use of older hymns. Uh, a lot of times those are reasons cited by, by many folks for a lack of involvement. Rather, the underlying reason was that these young people began to doubt the reliability and the authority of the scriptures and therefore its relevance to their daily lives. Doubting the reliability, doubting the authority of God's word is, is surely nothing new. In our first reading here from Isaiah, we see Isaiah faced similar doubts in his day, 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And time really hasn't decreased those efforts, has it? The intensity of the attacks against the reliability, against the authority of God's word has gained momentum in our own society, hasn't it? We see those attacks coming from sometimes even teachers and preachers. This has only caused the situation to grow worse. The undermining of the reliability, that is the inspiration and inerrancy of, of the scriptures, the Holy Bible and its authority for our faith and life has led to a lot of confusion uh, within many churches, within many church bodies in our world. Undercutting God's word under, uh, and, and questioning uh, or leads to questioning and doubting everything from God, doesn't it? It helps people, it, it leads people to question, questioning God's love, questioning God's will, Questioning his desire for marriage, his desire for sexuality, for life, for our relationship with others, our relationship with him. You know, when you unhook yourself from the, from the 
confident moorings of God's word, you're left to the winds of culture, right? That shifts so easily and changes at a moment's notice when a, when a new idea comes along. The solution for ending that exodus of young people from the church, Ken Ham and Britt Beamer suggest, is to impress once again upon each heart the Bible's truth and its importance for our individual lives. That's also the message of Isaiah, God's word, that you can trust it, that it's reliable, that it has authority. You know, the first thing about God's word is it enables us, uh, the deaf and the blind, to hear and to see. Isaiah's society was, face, uh, was facing a society that, that had grown tired of God's word. They were concerned more about the here and now uh, and not really the promise of a future savior. They just wanted to know what's going on now. They prospered and, and, and forgot the source of their prosperity, God's gracious hand. The king of Israel, he brought in uh, this, this uh, blasphemous idolatry and a vast majority of the people accepted it. Over time, Judah and the people had embraced this idolatry. Uh, instead of loving each other, they began to pray upon one another. Lip service was still paid to God, but the true expressions of faith, walking humbly before God, serving others with a willing heart, those things were seldom found. God described the situation by saying, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So God decided to bring judgment upon his people. Isaiah and the other prophets warned the people, but no one really listened to them. Then God permitted the Assyrian kingdom nation to come in and conquer Israel and, and carry off the 10 tribes of Israel into captivity. That nation was simply no more. The people were displaced, the people were lost. You would think that that'd be a wake up call to them, but Judah, it would seem, learned nothing. The people did not mend their ways. They rather pursued evil with even more passion. And because of that, Isaiah announced the coming judgment of God, a judgment that occurred over 100 years later when Jerusalem was destroyed in 586 B.C. But all was not lost. There were those that did remain faithful believers to God, good and godly children of God, even in the midst of a society gone astray. To these people, Isaiah offered these words of our text. In that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Isaiah pointed ahead to that future day, to that day when God's promised Savior, God's promised Messiah would finally come. That Savior, Jesus, would fully reveal to all of mankind the truth of God's kingdom. His words would be recorded in the book, the scroll, the scriptures. People like you and me, who by nature are sin spiritually deaf and spiritually blind, would be enabled by the Holy Spirit both to hear and to see God's word. Remember the words of Jesus in John's gospel? He said in John 8, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When God's Holy Spirit brought you and me to faith, he set us free. He set us free to allow us to hear and to see and to know and to love God's truths. You can trust God's word. It is reliable. Jesus tells us the scriptures cannot be broken. Therefore, it possesses authority. 
We are to hear it and we can believe it without fear. But there are some questions, right? Who is this one true God? Well, the Bible informs us that, that it is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God who created us, the God who redeemed us, the God who seeks now to sanctify us through this very word. Well, who are we? Well, we're by nature lost and condemned sinners, right? But now we are sinners saved by God's amazing grace in and through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The condemnation that we deserve, it's been removed and we've been pardoned and forgiven. But how are we to live our lives then? Well, God reveals his will to us in his word. It's very clear. His commandments remain in effect and enforce the expressions of his will but also expressions of his deep desire to protect us and his tremendous concern for our welfare. You can trust God's word. It is reliable, it has authority, it enables us who are deaf and blind to see and to hear. The second thing about God's word that it, is that it directs us, the, the humble and the poor, to rejoice in Jesus. Isaiah writes, once more the humble will rejoice in the Lord, the needy, the poor will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Who are the humble ones? Who are the poor ones? Well, that's us, isn't it? When we're brought to an understanding of our sins, we humbly confess them before God. When we realize that we cannot earn our way into heaven and, or stand before God on the basis of, of our own merits or works, that knowledge is pretty humbling, isn't it? Yet such knowledge also brings us joy and enables us to rejoice. Notice in whom Isaiah says the humble and poor will increase their joy and rejoice in the Lord, in the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah's comments are similar to uh, those of St. Paul 800 years later when he writes to the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always, I say it again, rejoice. No matter what our circumstances are, when we know that by God's grace we are his children and heirs, we can rejoice. When Paul wrote that passage, he was in prison, right? Facing a trial which would very well end in his execution. And yet, he was able to rejoice. How? Why? Well, Paul did not say, uh, rejoice that you're in prison. Nor did he, would he say to someone dealing with cancer, rejoice in your cancer. But it is in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that imprisonment, in the midst of the trials that you have, maybe going through chemotherapy, the humble child of God can still rejoice. Rejoice in the grace and the power of God at work in their lives. This is the God that promises to hear us. To hear us when we call upon him, deliver us. And God will indeed work all things together eventually for our good, for we love him. And more importantly, he loves us. You know, we face a lot of different perplexing topics in our world today, from questions of sex and sexuality to even our personal relationships. Regardless of what we're facing, let us turn to God's word. We deal with all kinds of uncertainties in this age. We deal with issues of addiction, even, even issues of, of how we deal with economics. Let's turn to God's word. In a lot of cases, God word, God's word gives us outstanding direction. But in all cases, it directs us to rejoice in Jesus. For in him, we can always find hope. Through him, we can always gain confidence. You can trust God's word. It's reliable. It has authority, 
It directs us, we who are humble and poor, to rejoice in Jesus. You know, the final thing that God's word, about God's word, that it assures us as Jesus' disciples that the enemies, his enemies, will go down in defeat. Isaiah writes, the ruthless will vanish, the mockers will disappear, and all who have an eye for evil will be cut down. Ultimately, might not happen right away, but ultimately, those who oppose the Lord will go down in defeat. That truth should be sobering for the unbeliever and intended to be a great source of confidence for the believer and comfort. Isaiah probably does not identify someone specifically when he talks about the, the ruthless one or the terrible one or the, the mocker or scornful one. But we can certainly come up with somebody, can't we? Satan is certainly the most ruthless and terrible one. He is the most mocking and scornful one at all times, isn't he? And yet he has been defeated by Jesus. He's been sentenced to everlasting judgment in hell. But is he still dangerous? Yeah, he can be, but he's not undefeatable. He can be overcome by the application of God's word. We're to apply the same tactics to oppose Satan in our lives as Jesus did in his temptations in the wilderness, where Jesus quite went right to Satan and said, it is written, Satan, so get out of here, depart. But it is difficult to stand for God's word in our day. Should any individual, should any army of individuals oppose you and stand uh, as you stand on that truth, do not fear. For if God is for us, who can successfully be against us? There are those times when people will lie about you as they seek to do you harm. Do not fear. God knows the truth. He will support you. He will vindicate you at the time of his choosing. Think of the examples in scripture. Think of Joseph condemned to prison for the lies of Potiphar's wife. Later, he was raised to a position in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh, a position from which he, he, he led ancient Egypt and saved many lives, including the lives of his family. Think of Daniel. He was cast into the lion's den, and not for committing a crime, but because of the envy of fellow officials. But God shut the mouths of the lions, and Daniel received even greater glory. Think of Esther, who was able to overcome the plots of Haman, and Haman was even hung on his own gallows. The Bible tells us that everything we find written within it was written for our learning. That we, through the patience and comforts, the comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. If the Bible is unreliable, how can it properly instruct us? It can't. I mean, if the Bible is unreliable, how can it properly comfort us? It can't. If the Bible is unreliable, how can it ever instill hope? It can't. Yet it does. We can trust God's word. You can trust God's word. It is reliable. It has authority. It enables us who are deaf and blind to hear and see. It directs us, us who are humble and poor, to rejoice in Jesus. And it assures us as Jesus' disciples that the enemies, God's enemies, will go down in defeat. Therefore, let us listen to God's word. Let us learn from God's word. Let us live by God's word. May he strengthen us with his word and spirit. Amen. Please stand.
And now may the peace of God that transcends all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Dear friends, let us confess our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed we confess together. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father and he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen.
Dear friends, go with God's blessing this day. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for joining us in this time of worship. From all of us at St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School, we thank you for listening. More worship opportunities are available on our website at stpaulslutheran.net. Just click worship at the top of the page. May God bless you and your family each and every day. And again, thank you for listening.